The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10, 30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. As we are entering into the holiday season, we just had Thanksgiving, we've got Christmas coming up and New Year's uh, coming up. I think about one of the most joyous parts of the holiday season is watching it through the eyes of the children around you. So maybe you have uh, younger siblings, or maybe you have nieces and nephews, or children of your own, maybe you have grandkids, but watching the sheer unbridled joy that a child is capable of is just so beautiful. Like I could say to you, you know, just two adults having a conversation, I could say to you, oh man, when you hear this, you're gonna jump up and down with excitement. But I'm not actually expecting you to start jumping up and down with excitement. In fact, that might freak me out a little bit, actually, if you did. But children are capable of actually jumping up and down with excitement. I mean, just recently, uh, I took our, our older two to Publix. We did a Publix run, and we stopped by the bakery, and I got them a sprinkle cookie, and they were literally jumping up and down with excitement. Like, there's actual hopping happening. And I almost started jumping up and down because it was free for me. So that was also... <laughs> part of the joy on my end, okay? But just watching them, I mean, they'll break out into a cheer. I mean, just with like little things that bring them so much joy, and it brings me joy watching that. But as an adult, that's not necessarily my life experience now. I mean, we know as adults, I mean, there are other things in, in our lives that we deal with. I mean, life, we know, is not all sprinkle cookies. I mean, there's stresses, Worries, there's fears, there's pains, there's difficulty, complexity. And we're responsible for these little ones jumping up and down. I mean, we, we, we see that joy and we say, oh, that's a beautiful part of childhood. But we don't really have an expectation that that kind of overflowing, unbridled joy should be a part of adulthood. In fact, we've, I think... We've kind of made peace with the fact that it's okay that there's not joy, or at least there's not a lot of joy sometimes. But you know, the Bible, which you know, we believe is, is actually God's word, it's, it's from God. The Bible challenges that assumption about joy, and it pushes us about this concept of joy. And I think it's important, especially as we're entering into this this. Christmas season. Next week, we're going to start a Christmas series, and we're going to start a build as we are reaching out into our community. We're inviting friends, neighbors, family members to hear at our crescendo, at our Christmas services, to hear the gospel. And as we're celebrating, and as the Christmas season picks up, and more Christmas music, and more decorations, and more Christmas parties, and foods, and, and, and all kinds of things, it is a season that declares, and celebrates, and expects joy. We actually, we sang today, Joy to the World. That's how we began our time together. We, we expect joy in the season, but so often all those wonderful parts of the season, they can produce happiness, but if it's just happiness, at the other end, there's kind of a low. But what if we got underneath, and we, we in this season, we discovered a true, deep foundation of joy that at the other end of the season, when we're packing up all the Christmas decorations, it wasn't just the most joyous season we had experienced. We had discovered a joy that is the new foundation of our lives that we're building on for the rest of our lives.
I want you to see what the Bible says because it might push our expectation of joy in our life. If you would look with me into the book of Philippians chapter 4, if you have a Bible or Bible app open there, you can also check in your table of contents of your Bible to find the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, we are going to start in verse 4, Philippians 4 verse 4. And we're going to read these verses, and we're just going to start with this first verse. Look what it says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now just pause with me for a little bit. Let's just get our bearings. This is, Philippians is a letter. It's broken down into four chapters. It's written by a guy named Paul. He's writing it to his friends in the church at Philippi. And he is saying this word rejoice. He actually says it twice in this verse. And uh, in the original ancient Greek that it was written in, you, will, you would see that that word rejoice is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It's not an encouragement. It is actually the command to rejoice. He's commanding, he's authoritatively telling the Philippians to rejoice. Now he says, I will say it again, not because he says the word twice in one verse. He says, I will say it again because he has been talking about joy through this entire letter. In fact, some scholars believe if there was one main theme of the book of Philippians, it is the theme of joy. As you were to look through each of these chapters, it is just overflowing out of this guy, Paul. I mean, he starts with this idea of, oh, I have so much joy when I think of you, Philippians. Yes, I have so much joy. And you see all of this just affection and encouragement just kind of pouring out from him. He goes on, he's very upbeat all through the letter. He talks about that he's looking forward to, to heaven and he's got great expectations of what God's going to do in his life. And he, he encourages them and he talks about all the things he's thankful for. It's just very upbeat, very encouraging, very affectionate. It's almost like every sentence in the book of Philippians. It's not just a declaration of joy. It's an expression of joy. Like every sentence is just dripping with joy. Now what is... Paul's experience, why is he just so overflowing with joy? I mean, what's going on? Did he, did he just win the lottery? I mean, like, what's happening with, with Paul as he's writing this, this letter? Well, let me tell you the context where he's writing. Where is Paul while he's writing this letter? He's in prison. He's very likely, as he was at various times in his imprisonment, he's chained to a Roman soldier. And what we know from other historical accounts of when uh, prisoners were chained to Roman soldiers Often the Roman soldier felt just as confined as the prisoner, and so often they were very cruel to the prisoner they were chained to. He's imprisoned falsely, so it's unjust. He's not committed any crimes. He's just preached the gospel. He's just preached about Jesus. So he's imprisoned. He's undergoing cruelty. He is there un unjustly. He also um, doesn't know if at any moment he will be executed, and at some point, eventually, he is executed. He's actually beheaded. Uh, for his faith. He's also got what he says later in his life, he's got what he calls a thorn in the flesh. It is an ongoing physical ailment. It is an ongoing chronic pain that he's suffering. Also, outside of prison, he has a group of friends that were once his friends, but now that he's been in prison, they've turned their backs on him and they're actually slandering him and talking bad about him while he's in prison and they're out and they're free. So he's suffering betrayal. 
Also on top of that, his life work, these major cities that he's traveled in the Eastern Roman Empire, planting churches, people have come in behind, the, behind him and undercut the message of the very message of the gospel, the message from God, and is threatening each of, each of these churches to crumble. So his life work is threatened. So let's review. He's in prison unjustly, possibly facing cruelty, expecting, also expecting possible execution. He's got an ongoing physical ailment. His friends have betrayed him and his life work is threatened. Who wouldn't be overflowing with joy at a season like that, okay? And so here's what I just want to start just right off the bat. And if you're taking notes, here's a couple things that you could write down that already just one verse, we learn about joy, which I think kind of resets some of our perspective about joy. Joy here is a command. And if joy is a command, that means joy is a choice. We often wait for joy to strike us. We wait for it to just happen in our lives. We're, we're waiting for it to just kind of overtake us. But what, if it's a command, what he's telling us is joy is a pursuit Joy is a decision. Joy is a direction I start running in. Joy is a choice. Then we also learn just from the context is the second thing is joy is not just a choice. Joy is not determined by our circumstances. Obviously, if Paul is just overcome with joy, despite some of the lowest circumstances of his life, joy is not determined by our circumstances. And I think sometimes like that, I think that corrects our view of, of joy. I think we think that, well, the circumstances in my life warrant a lack of joy. Or I'll have joy when all of the circumstances in my life align correctly. Which, that's not a recipe for it's not a good outlook of having joy if I'm waiting for every part of my life to align correctly. That's not, a good, that's not a good prospect for joy in our life. What Paul is not only teaching but modeling is that we can have joy regardless of our circumstances. It doesn't have to determine. Circumstances don't determine whether or not we have joy. Joy is a choice and it's a command. In other words, as one historical writer put it, joy is the secret of the Christian walk, it's the secret. Joy is, is the choice that we make, that we're uniquely equipped to make. Joy, regardless of our circumstances or season of life, joy should be the default mode of the Christian. Now, recently, the, um, the iPhone came out with a new feature. You know, it's always got, you know, emojis. But recently, it came out with a feature called a Memoji. And it's this little cartoon face that you can program and it lets you, you know, edit it and make it look like your face. And so when you do an emoji, it looks kind of like you. They call it a memoji. Okay, have you guys heard of this? You're looking at me blankly. A couple of you are nodding. Okay, okay, thank you. Just thought I was strange for a second. All right. So there's something called a memoji. And so um, I created a memoji when I learned about this and I sent it to my wife, Rebecca. And later that day when I got home and I saw her, she's like, yeah, that looked nothing like you. 
I said, okay, and I took that as kind of a challenge. So all week, I keep editing and tweaking my Memoji and send it to her, and I keep getting this disapproval. No, not even close. I, that doesn't look right, okay? And so I keep editing my Memoji with her. Now, while I was sitting, I, I would sit down, I'd take a moment, I'd be sitting down on the couch, and I would be like editing my Memoji. And when it came up to be edited, I looked at this little face, and there was a frown on the face. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, man, what's, why is my Memoji so sad all the time, okay? And then I realized part of what makes this such an interesting feature on the iPhone is actually the camera is reading your face. So as when you're editing it and you're looking around, your Memoji starts looking around. When you close your eyes, it will close your eyes. When you open your mouth, it opens its mouth. When you stick your tongue out, it sticks its tongue out. When you smile, it smiles. And when you frown, it frowns. And I realized, it's not my Memoji that has a problem. <laughs> I have the problem, okay? Why am I frowning all the time? Every time I open up, I'm frowning. I'm not doing it. I'm just sitting on a couch, okay? And apparently I have a frown on my face. And I realized, okay, I got to take inventory because what this is saying is that the default mode should be joy. Like real joy. Not like fake, how you doing? Fine kind of joy. <laughs> like real, authentic, actual oozing out kind of joy. Now, here's the thing about the Bible that I love. On the one hand, the Bible says things about this, like this, like rejoice all the time. And my intention, kind of what I, I expect when I read this is sometimes I want to say, oh, great, I'll just, I'll get right on that. That sounds easy to just be happy and joyful all the time. And it gives us this very lofty, nearly miraculous expectation. It stretches, the Bible does so often, our expectation of what this life should look like. But at the same time, this is inspired by the one who invented humans. So it knows our life experience and our capacity. And so at the same time, it's so lofty at the same time, it is so raw and real and authentic and practical. So it starts with this lofty statement, rejoice always. It's not a request, it's not an option, it's not a suggestion, it's a command. Rejoice always. And then it says, okay, here's how to do that. I want you to see where it goes in verse 5. Let's pick it up in verse 5 and look at the next few verses. Philippians 4, verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about, what does it say? Anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love what this does. It says, rejoice always. Now the next thing we should probably talk about is anxiety. But here's where it starts. It says, let your gentleness be made known to all. So first, by the way, these next few verses, it's going to be full of commands. They're steps. It's a framework. It's almost a formula for pursuing joy. The first command is to uh, rejoice. It's there twice. The second command is to let our gentleness be made known. If you've got your Bible or Bible app, I want you to highlight both words rejoice. Those are commands. Then I want you to highlight the word reasonableness. The word reasonableness means like gentleness. And that is such a great next place for it to go because I want you to think about this. 
whether we're joyful or whether we're anxious, doesn't that so often determine how gentle we are with the people around us? When I'm joyful, I tend to have a kinder tone. I tend to have more patience. I can wait on people. I'm a little bit more gracious. When I'm anxious, not so much. I can be impatient. My tone is harsher. I snap. We're short with each other. We honk at people in traffic. When we're anxious, whether we're joyful or anxious, it affects our demeanor with others, our gentleness. And by the way, it's not just how we treat others. It's also contagious, isn't it? Anxiety is contagious and joy is contagious. You might be having a great day, but if you get to work and your boss or your coworker is really anxious and stressed and they're irritable and they're walking around and they're, they're moving fast and talking to people and barking at people, they can threaten your joy, can't they? They can make everyone else feel anxious around them. If someone comes, maybe they come, you come home from work or from school and all of a sudden you're anxious and you're snapping at your family and your wife or your kids or your husband and you're snapping at them, you can then bring anxiety into the home. Anxiety's contagious, isn't it? But joy is contagious too, isn't it? Have you ever just seen um, some friends or some family members and you don't even know what they're talking about, but they are so incapacitated with laughter Like, it's just such a belly laugh. Like, I mean, just tears streaming down their face. Like, cannot catch their breath. Kind of doubled over in laughter. I mean, you might not even know what it is, but it just brings a smile to your face. You can't help it. I mean, joy is contagious. Here's what he says. He's saying joy is a command, and then he kind of tells us why he's commanding it. He says it's not just for your sake, but because this is not a private issue. Our internal wrestling with joy and anxiety affects the ones we love around us. And it, the, the closer they are, the more we love them, the more our joy or anxiety affects them. And so he says, I'm commanding it for your sake and for the sake of the fact that we are together a body. We're interconnected as family, as friends, as a church, as small groups. He's saying, let's let joy flow into those circles. Those ministry teams, those small groups, those families, those friend groups, those neighborhoods, those workplaces. Let's let joy, not anxiety. He says, it's a command, rejoice, but have gentleness be what sets the tone, the result of joy. So command number two. Then he says this, and if we thought saying rejoice always was lofty, then he says, and do not be anxious about, what does he tell us not to be anxious about? What did he say? Anything. Okay, we'll get right on that, Paul. Thanks. (laughs) Noted. All right, I'm just not going to be anxious, I guess. Okay? Man, I read verse like this sometimes, and I'm like, that just, I don't know, that just seems really unrealistic. But just consider the source for a second. First of all, the source is ultimately God. But think of the, the person, the servant, he wrote this through. Paul was very acquainted with circumstances that would have warranted anxiety. Do you know how many times he was beaten within an inch of his life? Like, certain death faced him. A lot. Sometimes he was at the center of an angry mob that had overtaken the entire city because of what they had done. That's not good odds. You and your few companions versus the entire city would produce some anxiety. A few times he was beaten with rods, caned. Whipped, 39 lashes, multiple times. 
A few times they attempted to stone him to death. One time they stoned him what seems to be completely unconscious. And what do I mean by stone, being uh, them stoning him? They would pick up boulders, throw them at his body, hit him in the skull until they killed him. And they had hit him in the skull enough where he was unconscious, dragged him out of the city, assuming he was dead. When he came to, he went back in the city to finish his job that he was called to do there of presenting the gospel. Like the, the man, I mean, he was, he was shipwrecked multiple times. Should have died. He, he's now in prison wondering if he's going to be executed. He's acquainted with anxiety more, in, in a lot of ways, probably more than any of us ever will. And God is using this servant to look at us in the eyes and say, okay, this is saying, don't be anxious. And, and what we have to do then is decide, do we believe the Bible or not? It says, don't be anxious. Okay, okay, God, you're going to have to give us a little more. What do we do? How do we do that? And he brings us to command number four. So you can circle rejoice. You can circle reasonableness. You can, you can circle don't be anxious. And then go to this next part. He says, so come to the Lord. And he says, present your request to God. Again, that is a command. Command number four. Bring your request to God through your prayers, through your supplications, through your requests. Bring these things that are causing anxiety. Bring them to the Lord. Place them in his hand, in his hands. And what are you asking? Ask of the Lord what you're asking. But it says in these requests, it says there's a secret ingredient. One that we wouldn't necessarily expect in the midst of anxiety or in the midst of asking God for something. There's a secret ingredient. Did you just catch what it was? Thankfulness. When you're bringing your request to God, stir in thankfulness. Now, thankfulness is a powerful, gratitude is a powerful thing in our lives. When we stop and we look around at all the things that we have been given, that does something really powerful. I mean, it kind of like helps us see like, wow, that's, I, I, st I don't stop and appreciate that enough. I'm, I'm so glad about that. I'm so happy about that. I, that brings me joy. It, it, what that does is it helps contentment settle in in our lives. What contentment does is it de-escalates the things we think we need and reminds us it's just something that we want. I, I think we should probably know something about Thanksgiving we just celebrated Thanksgiving. We have a day in our culture set aside to give thanks for all the things we have, hoping that that kind of stirs up some, some contentment for all that we have. The irony is what we do the next day. <laughs> we have a day given to thankfulness, and then we have a day of mad, crazy, consumeristic shopping and trying to get more. Now, I don't know about you, but on the Saturday after Black Friday, I have this practice. It's a little dark, I admit. Okay, it's the dark side of my humor. I look at the headlines and I'm just amused by the fights that broke out <laughs> at stores and malls on Black Friday. Okay, I read an article that a couple days ago there were two women that it took them 15 minutes to break up the brutal fist fight between them because they were fighting over the last vacuum. Okay, like every year there's someone that's just standing there just taking a video on their phone of like a pile of like TVs that people are like diving into, okay? Obviously something was missed, okay, on the Thanksgiving part the day before because fight or flight mechanisms have surged in people at the opportunity of getting something more. Obviously whatever that thing is, they have, it has been um, shifted up to the status of need, 
But thankfulness strips away that and helps us remember, okay, this is something I want. I don't have to have all this anxiety. I don't have to have all this crazed desire for this. It's something I want. It's not something I need, but it's something I want. How do we stir that in? Why is that so important? Why is that the secret ingredient? When we come and we bring our requests, we've got to wash over that request with thanksgiving. We say, God, look, I really want this thing in my job. I, this is an opportunity. Lord, would you please open this up? But let me just stop and thank you for a minute. Thank you that I have a job. Because there's a lot of people that can't say that. Thank you. And it puts in perspective what I'm asking. It's something I would like, but it is not something I need. And it helps take some of the anxiety of, I need this, God. Takes some of that away, strips that down, bleaches that out, puts the request in perspective. God, I would really like this for me and my family. I'd love the opportunity to do this. I'd like to, to reach this level. But before, God, I, I ask this, I just want to stop and thank you. Thank you, God, that I have in my home a source of clean water. Because hundreds of millions of people around the world, they don't have drinkable water in their village. And the water that their children are walking to and bringing into their home is probably poisoning their family. Thank you that I have clean water in my home. So when we stop and bring thanksgiving in with our requests, it, it helps put in perspective what we're asking. It, it cleanses, kind of washes, kind of strips away all the extras and puts in perspective the request and it helps us clarify, am I, just, am I a child of God really in need or am I whining as a spoiled child? It cleanses that request. See, what does Thanksgiving do? Thanksgiving cultivates contentment. So powerful. Thanksgiving cultivates contentment. But Thanksgiving does something else. Thanksgiving not only cultivates contentment, Thanksgiving helps me acknowledge the Almighty. It reminds me as I'm bringing these requests, God, this is stressing me out. This is causing me fear and panic and worry and anxiety. I'm bringing that to you. I'm asking that you would do this. And then we stop and we thank him. It helps us not only bring contentment and wash over those requests, but it also helps us acknowledge who it is we're praying to. God, thank you that you are Almighty and Thank you that you are good. You're good. You're not neutral. You're good. Thank you that I can look back and I can see in all of my life, you've never let me down. Plenty of times things have gone differently than I wanted or expected. But the longer I go, the more I see, thank you that you did that. Thank you that you did that. I trust you. I've seen so many of the things that you have revealed to me and the things that you don't. I trust you. Thank you that you are reliable. Thank you that I see all that you've done throughout Scripture and I see how you are so faithful. Thank you that you are a good God that I can rely on. It reminds us, of whose hands we're placing these requests in. It acknowledges the Almighty. And here's what that does. 
What it says happens next, it says, then the peace of God, which passes understanding. It's talking about a miracle. A miracle begins to happen in your heart. It's the miracle of peace that doesn't make sense as the world looks into your life and says, the fact that you have such a peace, such a rest in this season does not make sense. It's because it's a miracle. It's the peace of God. It's the peace where you know it's in his hands. What is really anxiety? Anxiety is the feeling, I have lost control over this circumstance. I cannot guarantee the outcome that I want. I do not have control. You know what the peace of God is? It's the acknowledgement, not that God is going to give me the outcome I want. That's still me being in control with a good helper named God. The peace of God is when I put it in his hands and I acknowledge I was never in control. I never have been, never will be. I am never in control. And so what peace does, it says, and peace will guard our hearts and minds. Peace becomes the guardian of our joy. As I'm placing it in his hands and I'm realizing, God, you are, it's your hands that I want it to be in. I don't want to be in control. It would be better for me not to be in control because these things are so precious. Why do I trust myself more than almighty God to handle this? I want to release, release control. I want to give it to God and peace and I put it in his hands and I walk away not to take it back again. I place it in his hands and say, that is the rightful place because he's saying, look, I, please put it in my hands. I can handle it. Don't keep taking it out of my hand. Leave it here. I can handle it. And the peace of saying, it's your business now, God, not mine, brings peace. And it guards our joy because peace removes all of the anxiety, which is the number one joy stealer. It removes our anxiety. It brings peace into our life. Now you might be saying, well, that kind of gets me back to neutral. But then how do I build a life of joy? That like the peace cleans the slate. But how do I build a life overflowing with joy then? Here's what it says next. Look at this in verse 8. Final verse we're going to look at. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That, by the way, is a command, command number five. He's saying, Christian, what are you filling your mind with? What are you letting into your mind? Choose what you will fill your mind with. There are so many opportunities for joy all around you. What are you filling your mind with? Is it stuff that are pure and commendable? Or do we fill our minds with filth? The shows, the movies, the things we watch. Is just filling our mind with things that are base and crass? Or we fill our minds with things that are, that are pure, beautiful, excellent, source of joy. Are we filling our minds with things that bring about fear and worry and panic is the, the news source that you plug your brain into? Is it just constantly ringing the bell over and over and over again that society's falling apart and that there is just, it's just hopeless? 
Well, there's no room for hopelessness in the, in the life of a Christian because we have a living hope named Jesus Christ. Amen. And we know that he wins. Amen. What are you filling your mind with, Christian? It's saying the command is then you've gotten rid of anxiety. Don't leave it a vacuum. Don't leave your mind a vacuum so the worry comes back in. Set your minds Choose to set your mind on all of the beautiful little things around you and big things around you that anxiety makes you miss that are so worth being joyful about. Rebecca and my youngest, um, our baby, she's uh, baby Hope. She's seven months old. She's just this sweet, smiley little baby. And um, she has this little dimple right on her right chubby cheek and anytime she breaks out into a smile like just I see that little dimple right there on her cheek and so it's my mission like once a day at least to do something to get that little baby to break out in a smile so I can see that little dimple I gotta tell you something so small just brings me so much joy a detail that I could miss. A treasure that I could miss. If I let anxiety rule my life, I could go days without enjoying that little treasure. Or weeks. Or months. Or years or a childhood. Choose joy. He's sometimes, what he's planted in your life are the smallest, subtle things that we choose to set our mind on. Here's what we're gonna do today. We are going to take the Bible at its word and bank on the fact that it's actually true which we believe it is. We're going to actually act like this is the word of God, which we believe it is. And we're not just going to hear this. We're going to act on it today. Here's what I want you to do. Can you take out this index card? It was on every single chair. Can everyone grab your index card? I want everyone to do this. And I want you to grab that a pen from the seat back in front of you. You can reach behind you and grab one. I want everyone to have a pen and everyone to have an index card. Here's what I want you to begin thinking about, and I want you to write down on this card. Each one of us walked in to this room, or maybe you're, you tuned in online with this on your heart. You have something that's threatening your joy. It's causing you anxiety today. Those are real things. We're not going to pretend they're not. They're real. And what I want to challenge you to do, I want you to leave it with God today. For just once and for all. Put it in his hands. Say, that's where it deserves to be. I'm not going to take it back out of your hands. I'm going to trust that you can handle it. It's your business now, God. Whatever the outcome is. I want you to write that down. I want you to write. I want you to put a word to it, a phrase to it. No one's going to look at this. This is just for you and God. You can be as detailed or general as you want. I want you to write down what is it that's causing you anxiety or what are the, the several things, the many things. I want you to write it on this card and I want you to leave. We're going to leave it behind today. Some of you are going to write down, you're going to write, 
health. And then you're going to write, what's your request about that? You're going to say, God, I, I want answers, please. I want healing. Some in this room, maybe you get more specific. Some of you watching online, you're going to get more specific, and you're not just going to write health. You're going to say, cancer. Chronic pain. Some of you are going to write relationships. A broken friendship, maybe. You're going to write, my marriage. You're going to write what you're going to ask. God, heal it. Please, restore it. Some of you are going to, maybe you won't write marriage. Maybe some of you are going to write, my singleness. Maybe you write, my kids, my grandkids. I, I worry about them. I'm concerned about them. That broken relationship there. Maybe you pray for your kids. Maybe others of you write, God, I want kids. I'm waiting for kids. You're going to write my career, my job, I need a job, I, clarity, my finances, my debt. I want you to write that down. What is the request that you're writing down? And I want you to leave it behind today in God's hands. The bottom line is, do we believe the Bible or don't we? Do we believe that joy is possible regardless of our circumstances? Do we believe that we can put away anxiety? Well, here's what Jesus said. Can I remind you what Jesus' words are? Here's what he wants for you. Here's what he wants for your marriage. Here's what he wants for your family. Here's what he wants for your friend group. Here's what he wants for you and your extended family and your neighborhood and your workplace. He said, the thief, the enemy, the devil, Satan, he says, the enemy comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. He says, but I have come, Jesus' words, that you may have life and have it to the fullest. He's saying, I, I came to give you joy, please. He's saying, don't settle with this low expectation of, well, I'm an adult, and so I am going to have a joyless life. He says, I want to breathe joy into your family. So I want to breathe joy and laughter into your marriage. I want to breathe miraculous peace into your life. He says, but what the enemy wants you to believe, he is a liar, and the enemy wants you to believe that your circumstances mean automatically you should be stressed out and joyless. That is a lie. Why? Because he wants to destroy your life. He wants to bring you down so you're crawling through life. Jesus is saying, no, I'm picking you up. I'm going to give you miraculous, unimaginable, unexplainable, unshakable joy and peace. That is the miracle of the Christian life because he says, when I got involved with your life, I made you a new creation, something alien and strange to this world. And the question is, do we believe who we are and are we going to do that today? Are we going to take the scripture at its word and say, I'm going to leave this in your hands, almighty God, believing that you're powerful and that you're good enough to take this and that those are the hands that it deserves to be in. I want to read this verse over you. Here's what it says in Psalm chapter 55. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Do you hear what it's saying? It says, cast your burden. He says, he's, he's anticipating that we came in here in our gathering together and many of us fell weighed down by these burdens. We felt like we're crawling through life, just scratching and clawing, trying to get further, but we're weighed down by all these worries and stressors and anxieties and fears. And he says, he wants you to take it off your shoulders and he wants you to heave it on to Almighty God, heave it right into his arms. Because do you believe that that's going to crush Almighty God? 
It might be crushing you, but it's in the hands of the one who holds the universe together. He can handle it. He's saying, put it in my hands. That's where it deserves to be. Take off your burden. Leave it at the Lord's feet. And don't take it up again. But look what the second part says. He says, he will not permit the righteous to be moved. Some of you are in here saying, you know, it's that part that actually adds stress to me because if I'm honest, the anxiety I'm experiencing, it's my own fault. It's my mess. It's my unrighteousness that put me in this position. It's my poor choices. So why would, the God, why would God swoop in and save me? Or you say, look, I, I don't know about that, but I, I know that my life isn't perfect. I can't say that I'm righteous. Why would God want to help me out? Why would he want to take my burdens away? Why would he want to work good to me, towards me? I, I'm not righteous. How could I say that I am? And can we just settle that once and for all? You and me, we are not righteous enough to qualify for this verse. But how good is our God? What burden did he take for us? He came to earth, Jesus Christ, and he took the burden of all of our sin and he paid for it on the cross, rose again from the dead, washing us clean, washing all of our sins away, past, present, and future, and he put his perfect righteousness on us. He declared the unrighteous righteous. He declared us righteous. Our righteousness is not our own. Our righteousness is in Jesus Christ. So Christian, follower of Christ, you have put your faith in Jesus. You have been declared righteous. This, this verse is a promise over your life. He will never permit you to be moved. You are his righteous ones that he is going to protect. So cast your burden onto the Lord. Here's what we're going to do in just a few moments. I'm going to invite you to take that card, fold it, and we're actually going to leave it here on the front of the stage. I'm going to invite you in a few moments to come up here and leave it on the stage and walk out of here done with it, pursuing a life of joy. But as we're bringing these anxieties towards God, can, I, can we stir in some thankfulness? Can I remind you? Can we acknowledge whose hands we're putting this in? Do you know how good he is? He's not just the almighty one. He's good. Do you know how good he is? He didn't wait for you to come to him. He came down to you. He took the, the pain and the agony of the cross for you. That's how good he is. How good is he? He promised that. He says, I'm going to adopt you in. I'm going to treat you like my beloved child, a father who wants good things for his children. That's how good he is. How good is he? He says, I am going to work all your circumstances together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He says, I am working these circumstances around, around for your good. How good is he? He's saying, no matter what circumstances you're in, he says, I am with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. That is how good our God is. Let's bank on the truth of the scripture today. We're going to leave our anxiety behind and we are going to become a people marked by joy. When you come forward and when you put this on the front of the stage, you can do one of a couple things. We're going to spend some time ending our service with, with worship. We're going to sing a few songs in worship. Why? Because we're going to set our minds on the, on the one single source that is the most pure, most excellent, most praiseworthy, our good God. So what you can do when you bring this here, some of you might want to stay down here and just kneel in prayer. Some of you might want to stay down here and just worship. Some of you might want to go back to your chairs and, and worship or pray. We are going to end our time worshiping God and thanking him for his goodness that he can handle our anxiety.
you can begin coming forward and putting it out here on the stage. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.